still know where your lawn furniture is? Wow. A little breezy last night. I had a little six-pound Yorkie, and I let her outside, and I thought, I don't know if that's a good idea or not. May not find her, but she came back. Anyway, we're glad to have you. Welcome to church here in Leesburg. How you doing, Beck? Doing okay? Good, 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 good. Yeah, I know you appreciate that. I, I I don't know what you how you feel about the lottery. <laughs> I just hope that if anybody wins, they are a member of Leesburg Christian Church. And keep in mind that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> you take them when you get them, Chuck. Just throw them out there, buddy. Take them when you get them. Hey, um. You know, um, I hope I asked you if y'all were good, and and you kind of when I ask that up here, and I do that often. A lot of you go, yeah, yeah, we're good. But the truth of it is, I mean, that's why we're here, right? We're we're looking, we're seeking, we're searching for good, for good for for our, for our lives, something that can connect, something that can help, something that can build, something that can encourage, something that can sustain. This weekend, some of you are going to be glad. I'm concluding the values, the core value series that, that we've been in, where we've been dis- discussing our six core values that are behind everything that we do and drive everything that we do here. And hopefully it drives everything that we do when we're away from here as we run our lives and raise our kids and handle our money and, and, and deal with work or where, and wherever we go and whatever we do. What we want to, the goal is, whatever we're doing and wherever we're doing it, we're hoping that we can do it in such a way that we say, you know, th- this is this is what we think of God. This is how we're going to reflect God through our lives, individually, collectively, as a ministry, as a, as a church. And our goal is is when when others can see how we're living our lives and what God is doing through our lives, that they'll they'll say, you know, I'd like to have some of that. I'd like to have that good thing that they have as a part of, of my life, not perfect things. And so our goal is that we can deliver or share or exemplify the message that that Jesus can 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 make your life better. And and that's what we're trying to do. Now the reason that these values are very important for us to review uh, occasionally is because it's very easy and you all know this through your work wherever it is that you work. It's very easy for any organization, I think particularly a church, to kind of lose sight and go adrift for the reason that it exists. Some somehow uh, time and board meetings can, can can get you away from that uh, as we tend to react to whatever issues are, are at hand. And so it, it's very important for us to be r- reminded. I've often thought with regard to church, you know, why is it that so many churches do so many weird things that aren't even mentioned in the Bible? Have you ever thought about that a little bit? Now, as a minister, I know I would dwell on that a little bit more because I, I see it and talk about it every day. But often I look at what some churches are doing or how we used to do it, and I wonder, how did that ever come to be a decision? I mean, you know, did a group of people get together on a particular week and, you know, uh, and say, this is what you're supposed to do in church, and this is how you're supposed to do it? I mean, did somebody say, hey, I've got a good idea, and everybody kind of bought in and said, yeah, that's a great idea, Let, let's do it. And you may be sitting there thinking, what, what are you talking about? I'm like, for, let me just throw out some examples. And I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that this, this is one of those questions. Like, can you imagine being in on a discussion 
uh, where somebody decided that everybody on the platform should wear robes? How did that conversation come up? Hey, I've got three shirts and two pair of pants. I'm tired of changing clothes. I need a robe. I mean, I, I, don't, know how that, I don't know how that conversation uh, comes up or how you make that decision. Or, or here's a big one that I had growing up. Some of you are going to remember. Do, do you all remember when we used to take communion from glass communion cups back in the day? Anybody? Yeah, okay, I'm the oldest one here. I guess. All right, all right. So anyway, there used to be a day that our, our cups weren't plastic. They, they were glass everywhere, all the churches. And I'll never forget my home church when the whole sanitary thing came up and cleaning them in between, you know, and afterwards and all that. And everybody was moving toward disposable cups. My home church had three congregational meetings over that, and it almost split our church in half over glass versus plastic. To which I look back on that and think, you kind of missed the point of communion. I'm not really sure, you know. But it makes you wonder, how do you get to, to that point? I've often thought that Jesus must be up in heaven looking down <laughs> at churches sometimes going, I got nothing to do with that. Don't blame that one on, on me. So uh, that, I'm sharing that because that's why we want we want to remind ourselves of these values. We can get weird sometimes in church, get sidetracked, get off course. I just want us to always be a ministry here at Leesburg where we focus on Jesus. You with me on that? And, and we don't let things get in the way of that. Um, we've been using Psalm 23, the most famous chapter, I guess, in all the Old Testament, just about, as an outline to talk about our six values. Um, Psalm 23 is written by, by David, who grew up to become the second king of Israel. And what we've been trying to do over the last six weeks, and I hope you've been putting it in on old memory bank, bank We've been trying to memorize uh, these six verses, and the reason that we're doing that is because David would later write about God's Word, that it's a lamp unto my feet, it's a light un unto my path. It, it, if, if I shine it in front of me, it will guide me to the place that I really want to be in, safe and, and secure in the direction that he would want my life uh, to go. And so we've been kind of looking at this, so, you know, this is our last week of this series. Um, we've been looking at Psalm 23, so it's test week. This is test week. So what I want you to do is I want you to read it out loud with me, and then I'm going to give you a chance to read it together or say it together from memory. Let's try. Let's read it out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of help because we're grading on a curve here. But I want you to try it. So are you all ready? This is all you. You got it? We'll see. The Lord, he makes, he leads me, he reaps. He leads me of righteousness, namesake, even though I walk, I will. 
you prepare in the presence, you are my cup. Surely, come on, follow me. failure okay that was about a D plus no I'm kidding give yourselves a hand that's good y'all did pretty well pretty good um, <clears throat> last time at the end of this we looked at the first half of, of verse 6 and I asked you a question that I'm kind of asking myself and I hope you thought about it a little bit and that is why why would you or anybody you know in today's world and culture ever want to come to church i mean you know there, there's a lot going on in our lives there's, there's a lot of things happening there's a lot of uh, uh church available on social media so to speak uh, wh- why would anybody want to come to church especially with some of the experiences that we've had in our past with church right and, and what we concluded last week is the only reason that anybody w- would want to go to church is because we want something in our life instinctually that is good and we believe that the church has something good to offer to make our our life better therefore the reason that we're all here the reason you're here today is because you want your life you want your marriage you 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 want every aspect of of your lives to to be better we're all looking for something that's relevant and, and applies so the reason that we come to church is because it's good which is the same reason that people don't go to church when it's not good so our goal is to try to make it good. So it'll be a good experience for you, good for your heart, good for your soul, good for your family, good, just good, uh, which is the reason why a lot of people have turned against church today because their experience ha- hasn't been good. So one of the things that we're working very hard to do here at Leesburg for you and for anybody else that walks through the doors is to provide you with a good experience and a good environment and good opportunities of, of service so that we can have some space for anybody who comes in here to, to work their things out, out with God. And in the process, we're going to do everything we can to try to eliminate really weird, stupid things like arguing over robes or cups or something like that from creeping in and getting in the way of that. Are you with me? Will you help me do that? Okay. Now, now I want you to understand something. The message that's preached up here is never going to change. We're, we're never going to stop preaching Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he's going to continue to do in, in all of our lives. But to get that message across, we're going to use whatever we can to try to make that message as relevant to your life and to your children's life as we possibly can. And speaking of making uh, things good, we are trying to and are making an effort as we make changes for your benefit. For example, on November the 10th, which is not very far away, we're adding a fourth worship service on Sunday morning. We're going to have the Saturday night at 6.05 like we always have, but we're going to begin our services in the old building at 8.30 a.m. And this is really to, to meet optional scheduling uh, things for people that, that are struggling. We're 8.30 service over there, same message live, same music, stripped down a little bit, but same music. And then we're going to come over here. The first service will begin at 9.45, and then yours all will begin when it always does, 11.15, because that's what time you all get here, 11.15. So 11.15 is the second service, and it, it'll, it'll all be good. So th- that's part of what we're trying to do to, to try to provide uh, a good uh, 
place, a good experience for people to experience a good good God. The other thing we're doing is we're, we're building a family life center. It's going to be a gym and a meeting room and a kitchen and restrooms and something that's really needed, particularly for our young people. We don't have a lot of extra space around here. We're really excited uh, about that, and uh, I hope that you'll be praying about that. Thanksgiving offering is coming up on November 17th and 18th, which that offering is going to go to try to complete the next phase of, of that. We have the steel package here. The footers are here. We'd like to get it on the roof, uh, and that's just up to us as to when that happens. So I hope that, like myself, you're praying about and thinking about what your gift might be on that particular offering above and beyond. So we're looking at Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, 6, we looked at the first half last week, and we're going to look at the second half this week. It's a very short phrase, but it has some pretty cool words in it. It's, David says this. He says, I shall dwell, after all that I've just said, about my relationship with God and what he does for me. I shall dwell in a house of the Lord uh, forever. So let's look at those words, and then we're going to tie them in with what Jesus taught, and it's really, really cool. First of all, if you'll notice, there's, there's a really cool word named, uh, called dwell. What, what does it mean to dwell? To dwell in the Hebrew actually meant to sit down. It was like, but it's very specific in the Hebrew. It was like a king sitting down on a throne. In other words, Nobody else is allowed to sit there. It's a very specific invitation for that person particularly to sit there. It's kind of like a judge sits on a bench, okay? And, and it's, it's very, very uh, specific. Uh, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to be with the Father, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 33, he is sitting at the right hand of God. No one else is going to be able to sit at the right hand of God except Jesus Christ, our Lord and, and Savior. So David says, I will sit down by my Father. I will dwell with my Father. And then the second word I want to look at is the word house in this little phrase. The, the term house in the Hebrew means something really, really special. It's the place where a family lives. <laughs> Nothing complicated about that. That's what it means. But he's saying this is a place where family lives together. So in this case, the house of the Lord means the family of God. So David ends this chapter, everything that he's saying, saying this, hear me. The Lord who created everything and runs the universe, not only does he lead me like a shepherd and provide and protect me like a shepherd, not only does he prepare a table before me and make sure that goodness and mercy follow me, but I, listen to this, but I am going to sit down and rest in a seat, a seat of position as an official member and a part of the Lord's house and his family forever. Is that not cool? That's, the, that's what David is reminding us of in this particular psalm. How many of you are sick of the election lines? How many of you got them memorized? He's a liar! Okay, whatever. I, I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's just kind of crazy. Uh, unlike our elections, I, I just want you to know there's no term limits on this. Forever. Okay, so this psalm ends with, after all of what God can do in a person's life, it ends with, the Lord wants me to live with him and invites me to sit down, now listen to how good this sounds, and rest beside him forever. That's pretty good stuff right there. Now, I want you to think for a moment with me who's writing this psalm. It's David. David is, I don't know how much you know about his background, but he is actually the youngest son of several brothers. And his father's name was Jesse. And one day, the prophet Samuel, who was told by God to choose the next king of Israel, was told to go to the house of Jesse. Um, 
and so he does. He knocks on the door, and he says, hi, I'm Prophet Samuel. Good name for a prophet, by the way. Samuel, and he goes, I want to see your son. I, I'm, I'm preparing to anoint the next king of Israel, so go get all your boys and bring them out. And so they bring him out, and he kind of interviews them and looks them up and down, and God says, don't consider the appearance, blah, 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 blah. make sure you look at what's in the heart. And so after he sees all the sons of Jesse, he goes, uh, is that all you got? Which that's never a good sign. Yeah, is that is that all all you have? And Jesse goes, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Well, I got one younger boy, but he's out taking care of the sheep, and he's not he's not that important. He's not that impressive. And Jess and uh, Samuel says, go get him. <laughs> and he ends up being the one that gets anointed as the next king uh, of Israel. That that would be David. Now, what you need to understand about this scenario is that David and his brothers didn't get along very well as a result. Okay, there there was some friction. And some of that's tied into another story for another day that's involved uh, David's mother. But here's my question for you with that in mind. Why do you think David concludes the greatest psalm in all the Old Testament the way that he does? When he says, I get to live with the Lord forever, my father, my father. See, I think from my own experience in life, that David had found in God what he had been looking for his entire life in an earthly father. All of his life, and some of you are going to relate with this as well as me, all of his life he had been waiting and looking for someone to say, I want you to be my son. I, I want you to come and be with me forever. And don't we all want to hear that? Don't we all like and want to hear from someone that's important to us, I, I want you to be with me, right? Didn't we all like it as kids when a family member or a friend of the family would pick us up and go, there's my boy or there's my girl, right? Makes us feel special, pretty cool. Um, and then there were those dreaded moments. Do you remember in grade school when, uh, I don't know if they do this anymore, but you know, okay. But like when you had like rec time and you played kickball and they picked teams. I don't think they allow them to pick teams anymore because that's not fair. But anyway, they, we used to pick teams, and I can always remember, pick me, pick me, pick me, like not last, like pick me quick. You know, I didn't want to be that, that. We all long to be picked. We all long to be a part of a team. And that doesn't end there. That goes all the way through high school. You know, you get to high school and they have a dance or a homecoming or a prom or something, and, and, and you just hope somebody asks you to go to something like that, even if they are a distant cousin. It doesn't matter. It's Kentucky. You know, it's okay. And so you, all your lives you want someone to say, I want to be with you. I, I want you to be w w with me. Now, here's what we do as putting up a guard against our emotions. We try to mask that when we don't get picked, and we try to say, well, I don't care. Uh, it doesn't matter to me, and, and you know, we kind of bull up with that, and we use that to kind of protect ourselves, and, and we stay out of positions where possible rejection by someone that we really want to be accepted by m might happen, even though that's not really what we want. L let me explain what I'm saying here, because I've actually been in this position. Um, when a kid says, a young kid says, I hate my dad, he doesn't hate his dad. She doesn't hate his dad, her dad. That, that, that's not really true. Intuitively, you don't hate your parents, okay? The reason that a child would say that is because the child believes 
that the dad really doesn't care about them. And so their only defense and the way to protect their emotion is to say they don't care about their dad. Now, I want you to carry that thought over to being in this room here today. And let me just ask you this question. Why is it that you think that people have a tendency to isolate from God? Why is it that you, that you think today in our culture that people tend to hate his church or to, you know, to diss his church and, and to put it down and criticize it? Why, why would you think people would do that? Why would you think that people uh, even hate and say they don't believe and they, don't, they don't, can't handle and don't want to be around God? You know what I think that really is? I think intuitively everybody wants to believe in something. I, I think the truth of the matter is, is that people don't believe that a God could actually care about them because they know themselves. And they know that if they were choosing teams, they wouldn't pick themselves because of where they've been and, and what they, they've done. And, and so I think that's why people kind of fall, fall into that. And then you read Psalm 23. I don't know about you. With that in mind, I look at it and I say, well, good for David. God picked him. God, God's saying you can come and live with me in my house forever. And I want that. And the cool part of it is that's available. If Jesus were picking teams, let me ask you, how do you feel about yourself? Do you think that Jesus would pick you to be a part of his team? And if not, why? And do you have find yourself with a tendency of saying, I don't care? Why? Think about that. Well, let's talk about Jesus for a moment as we wrap this up. On one particular day, Jesus is walking down by the Jordan River. Now, you've heard of the Jordan River. It's still there in Israel. And a few weeks before this, um, Jesus had been baptized by his cousin named John the Baptist because he baptized people. And so on this particular day, uh, he is walking past that, that same river, and John is still there. John is preaching. He's telling people, you need to change the way you think about life. He called it repent. You need to repent. Well, why do we need to repent, John? Well, because someday God is going to send the perfect Lamb of God who is going to take away the sins of the world. He's going to be the once and for all sacrifice so you guys don't have to go over to the temple and kill all those sheep all the time uh, for your sins and be connected to God. You're going to be permanently connected through the perfect Lamb of God. So as John is preaching, he has with him two young guys that have kind of latched onto him as, as he's mentoring them, and their names are Andrew and John. Andrew and John. And the reason, without much detail, that they're with John the Baptist, who, by the way, was a little bit of a nut, okay? You've got to be a little bit of a nut to be a preacher anyway. But John was a little bit, there's nuts and then there's nuts. John was more like a little bit, he was just, he was a little bit weird. I mean, the Bible says the guy wore like camel's hair and ate grasshoppers. I, I don't know, but he was a pretty cool guy. I would have hung out with him just because he seemed to be a rebel. He was hated by the religious uh, establishment. And Andrew and John are hanging out with this guy. Well, why would they hang out with him? They were hanging out with him because the school that they wanted to go or the life they wanted to pursue, they were told no. And so they go and find John the Baptist and ask if they could learn from him and hang out with him. He seemed to have some answers to life. So what you have here is you have a couple of rejected students hanging out with a rejected teacher. Because birds of a feather, right, tend to flock together. John chapter 1, listen to what happens. The next day, John was standing with his two disciples, Andrew and John. He looked at Jesus, Jesus walks by, and he points to him, he says, Behold, boys, the Lamb of God. The two disciples, Andrew and John, heard him say this, and they began to follow Jesus. 
because John had pointed to him and said, this is the Lamb of God. They were curious, and John was saying, hey, go, guys, go, go, go follow him. Look at verse 38. Jesus turned and saw that they were following him, and he asked them a question. He goes, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, interesting question. Where are you staying, Jesus? Wait a minute. He just asked you what you, are you looking for, and you turn around and you ask, where are you staying? What, what was that about? Well, good students know that if you don't know the answer to a question, you ask another question. That's an old, old trick in the book, right? So they ask, where are you staying? Now, I want you to look at this, this phrase for a minute, staying. It's interesting to me that that word staying in the Greek New Testament is the exact same word as dwell in Hebrew in the Old Testament. Same exact word. Staying. It means to sit down with, to live with, to reside with, 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 with this kind of meat. So Jesus sees them following him, and he asks them what they're looking for. Uh, you know, what are you hoping for? And the answer comes back from Andrew and John, we want to live with you, basically. Where are you living? We want to live there, too. We want to reside with you. We want to, we want to rest with you. We've been rejected by a bunch of other people. Can, can we stay? Can we dwell with you? And then Jesus gives the classic answer, which is actually our value number six. Verse 39, he says, come and you will see where I'm staying, where I'm living, where I'm dwelling. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for the day, uh, for it was about the tenth hour. And just for the record, they didn't just stay a day. They stayed their whole life. And they're with him today in eternity. They made some mistakes along the way, but they were considered part of his family and dwell with him even today. But on that particular day, Andrew says, oh, okay, wait, well, I'll, I'll stay with you, but I'll be right back. And he goes and gets his famous brother that we know by the name of, uh, of Peter, the apostle Peter eventually. And he brings him back to Jesus. And he goes, you're not going to believe it, Peter. We, I think we found the Messiah, the one that we were taught all about in Hebrew school when we were kids. And Peter comes up and meets Jesus, and he never leaves Jesus. And he's with him even today, even though he made a lot of mistakes, as we point out all, all the time. The next day, verse 43, Jesus decided to go into Galilee. He's got three guys following him, Andrew, John, and Peter. He decides to go to Galilee. He finds Philip, and he says to Philip, follow me. Philip didn't raise any questions. He starts doing it. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the same city or town that Andrew and Peter were from. So they all grew up together in Hebrew school, okay? Philip immediately goes and finds Nathaniel and says to him, you have four, now you're looking at five, we have found the one whom Moses and the law, also the prophets, wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, of Joseph. Nathaniel looks back at Philip and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? We've talked about that before. And Philip said to him, Come see. Come and see. Now, because they'd all grown up together in Hebrew school, they knew that one day God was going to send the, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But Nathaniel's a little skeptical. Really? I mean, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, can anything good come from where you live? You know, I, I don't know. Can it? And Philip doesn't argue with him. Philip doesn't debate this with him. He doesn't apply any pressure. What's his response? Just come and see. Just, just come and see. This is our sixth value. This is the value that we're really, really banking on here at Leesburg Christian 
church. We call it sharing. We call it relational evangelism. You can call it whatever you want. It's simply saying, come and see. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we believe that the most loving thing we can do for anybody that we care about at all, even if it's just an acquaintance, is to say to them, come and see who Jesus is, and then give them some space to make up their own mind about their relationship with him. See, there's a lot of stuff. I know a lot of you. I know some of the things that are going on in your life. I don't know probably 5%. But I do know one thing that's true for every single one of you in this room, as well as it's true for me. Every single acquaintance that I have is looking for a good life. Every single person I know is looking for something better than what they presently have, right? Every single one. Something good, and here's the point I'm trying to make. Because you're acquainted with them, you're going to have conversation. Things are going to come up, both good and bad. And they might even look at you and ask for your opinion, perspective on whatever's going on in your life. And this is your prime moment as a Christ follower to say to them, listen, I don't have all the answers, but come and see for yourself. Maybe like Nathaniel, they're going to be skeptical. They're going to go, what are you talking about? Go to church? I've been, I am not going to church. Don't debate that with them. Be like Philip. Don't debate that. Don't argue with that. Say, hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not going there with you. All I can say to you is that it's changed my life for the better. And maybe it could change yours. You've tried everything else. Why don't you give this a shot? Why don't you come and see? I want you to understand that the number one way that the message of Jesus has gone around the globe for the past 2,000 years is not through debate and argument. Some people have been warned like that, not very many. The number one way that the message of Jesus has spread all over the world is when one person who has had their soul restored by Jesus, has been loved by Jesus, has been led, protected, and all these other things we've talked about, healed and changed by Jesus Christ, bumps into somebody else and gives them the simple invitation by saying, listen, I, you know, I, I don't have anything profound to say to you. All I can tell you is I, I, I kind of got to know Jesus. I'm learning some things. It's changed my life. Things are better. Why don't you come and see for yourself? Maybe he can do the same for you. In some form or fashion, here's what I want you to know. Every single one of you are in this room because somebody did that for you, somewhere along the line. Every one of you. There are no exceptions to that. Somebody said in some way, check him out. Check Jesus out. I want you to know that as a church and from our leadership, this is our strategy. This is our strategic plan for winning our community in Christ. Nothing compares to having somebody you know inviting you to come and see. And that's true of anything. People trust their friends. They do not trust institutions. They do not trust organizations. And today, unfortunately in our world, they do not trust churches. But they do trust you because you care about them on some level. Another occasion, listen to this story. Probably one of my favorites in the New Testament. Jesus bumps into a guy on the side of the road, and he's begging for money. And the reason that he's begging for money is because he's been blind from birth. They didn't have a welfare system back then. They had no uh, state or federal aid. They didn't have food stamps and whatnot. So parents would take people who are crippled or handicapped in some form or fashion from birth, and they would take them down to the local corner. They would drop them off at the beginning of the day, pick them up later in the day, and hopefully they would be able to provide for themselves enough money uh, to buy food and sustain their life. And so the, they're walking by this guy. He's been blind from birth, and Jesus has these, some guys following him, right? 
And they look over to this blonde guy who's not very old, and I can prove that in just a moment. He's not very old, but maybe 25 or so. And they, they look over him and they go, uh, Jesus, we got a question for you. Same question every one of you have asked. Every one of you have asked this question. They look at this guy and they go, why is he blind? I mean, what did he do wrong to deserve that? I mean, and then they go on. Did he sin or did his parents sin? That's what they believed back then. There's still a lot of truth to that today. I'll have people come to me and say, you think God's punishing me because of something I did back in high school? Let, let me just say for the record, if God operates that way, we should all be blind. Right? God doesn't work like that. And Jesus responds. Look at chapter 9, verse 3. He said, no, 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 guys, hang, hang on. It wasn't that this man sinned or, or his parents, but that God, that good works might be able of God might be able to be displayed in him. Jesus knew why he was blind. He chose not to give them the details of that for, for whatever reason, genetics or whatever. He said he's blind, and, and he goes, watch how good God is. And this is the point. Look at verse 6. Having said these, these things, I love this. I've always wanted to try this when I go to the hospital. He spit on the ground, made some mud with some saliva, <laughs> rubbed it in the guy's eyes, basically anointed him in his eye, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. Here's the crazy part. So the guy goes, and he washed, and he came back seeing for the first time in his life. Jesus tells this guy maybe to do one of the weirdest things in all of Scripture, and the guy does it. Why did he do it? He didn't do it because of faith. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He did it because he had been blind his whole life, and he's desperate, and if a guy who, you know, sounds good, tells you to do something, even if it's a stranger spitting in your eyes with mud, you let them do it because you've tried everything else and nothing works, right? Are you staying with me on this? This is important. Verse 8, the neighbors who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man that used to sit over there and beg? Some of them said, yes, it is. Others would say, well, it kind of looks like him. We're not really sure. But the guy kept saying, yes, I am that man. So they said to him, well, then, how were your eyes opened? He answered, that man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go wash in that in the Siloam over there, the pool. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. Best line in the scripture. They said to him, where is he? He says back, I don't know because the last time I was with him, I was blind. How would I know that, right? Duh. <laughs> now, the religious leaders get all upset. Do you know why the religious leaders get all upset? For the same reason people, uh, churches split over what kind of cups they're using. Because they thought it was against God's law to uh, spit on the ground, make mud, and rub it in somebody's eyes because that was considered working on the Sabbath. Go figure. Who would have thought? So they're all upset. So they call the guy in, and they want to know what happened. And they don't. he doesn't give them a satisfactory answer. So they go and get the guy's parents, which is why I said he's young, because the average lifespan was only about 40 years then. So they bring the guy's parents in, and they said, has your son been faking that out there for the past 25 years? And they go, no, 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 no. So they go back, and they get the guy again. They bring him in. Look at what happened. Verse 24, for the second time, they called him in. It, it, the blind man, and they said to him, now you better give glory to God because we know that Jesus guy is a sinner and here's the guy's classic response. It ought to be yours. 
when you're dealing with whoever. Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. The one thing I know, I used to be blind, now I see. That's all I can tell you. Well, what did he do to you? Do to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, listen, I've already told you the whole story before, and you wouldn't listen. Do you want to hear it again? Are you all interested in following him too? They get ticked at that, and they kick him out. Now he's getting to be a smart aleck about it, right? He says something really important. Get this. Don't miss it. I'm almost done with the whole series. We're coming down to the last couple paragraphs. He's saying, listen, I don't have it all figured out. All I can tell you is that he changed my life. Well, how? I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I only know one thing. Before I met Jesus, I was blind. I met him. This is important. Did what he told me to do because I was desperate. And now my life is better. And I see things now that I've never saw before. Jesus, verse 35, heard that they had kicked the guy out. <clears throat> he finds him, has a follow-up conversation. This is called discipleship. And he goes up to the guy and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, well, who is he, sir, that I might believe in? And Jesus said, I love his choice of words. You've seen him. He's the one who's speaking to you. It's me. And he said, Lord, I, I believe. And he, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And that includes you and every acquaintance you have. I don't know why, but today we have such a problem of sharing our faith with people. We are in a we are in an era, a social era where we are we do everything to be non-intrusive about anything in anybody's life that could be potentially be controversial. We don't talk about anything that we believe in, and, and it's not just in faith issues. It's it's it, it's all arenas, and as a result, we become very guilty of foregoing the great commission of what Jesus told us do and go into the world and make disciples we, we don't invite people to church and we do that for a lot of reasons and we give a lot of excuses well i don't know how to answer their questions and i don't know what the answers are and i you know they know my past and i'm a little bit embarrassed i don't want to here's all i can tell you and i want this is important because we're hanging our hat on this one the man meets jesus he's desperate he obeys jesus and it works okay he doesn't know how he doesn't know why but all he can do is tell his story and that's all you can do it isn't until after his life changed for the better that he actually starts believing in Jesus once he sees what Jesus can do in his life. He believes, here's the key to it, after he comes and sees. If you're waiting to have a conversation with someone out there, if you're waiting to find believers to have conversations with, you're probably going to struggle. He only believed after he comes and sees. This is how it's always worked, and it's only how it's ever going to work. It's how you got here. It's how anybody new is ever going to get here in the future. If you and I look at other people that we know and say, come and see for yourself. This is our plan, people, for this ministry in getting people to meet Jesus. It's all based on you and me telling someone else, you're important to me. I care about you. I found something good. It's working for me. I'm not perfect. I still make mistakes. But come and see. I want you to understand it's why we do all the mission work that we do here at church. We don't give away change for a dollar every week and clothes and backpack ministry because we all want to stand up here and go, look at what we do at our church. That's not the reason. Do, do you all understand why we do that? We do this physical stuff so it will provide us an opportunity to have conversation about eternity. We do that stuff so it will open 
the door because people will always look back at you whenever you do anything good and they go, why are you doing this? Glad you asked, right? I just want you to know God's done something good in my life and I'm thankful for it and I want to pay it forward. That's why we do missions. That's why we do everything that we do around here. It's, it's why we build buildings. It's why we do everything. I, I don't want you to miss that. It's why we're here, and it's why anybody will be here in the future. Some of you can relate to that. Somebody did that for you, and, and you're grateful. And if you're here and somebody came up to you and said, come and see, and then you discover what Jesus offers, even though you haven't always lived up to it, and you know, but you know it's good, and you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and you believe in his promise that you're going to dwell in his house forever. Remember when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go again, I will come to you and receive you to myself, that where I am, that you may be also forever, right? Today, even if you don't have it all figured out, here's what I want you to understand. Somebody, maybe you're here today, and somebody said to you, come and see, and you've been checking it out. I want you to know, there's a pool over here, like Salome. There's a pool over here. I'm not going to spit in your face or rub dirt in your eyes, but I'm telling you, the promise of Jesus is, is that you can go over to this pool and begin to see things differently. Maybe for the first time in your life. There's a promise that, God, that Jesus gave us, that he, would, that he would not only forgive our sins when we obey him, and that's very important because that's, that's what faith is. It's doing what we don't understand. He'll forgive us, but he also comes in and lives inside us. And, and he gives us the power to, to, to do life that we can't do on our own. His Spirit leads us through every valley and over every mountain, even the valley of the shadow of death. And everybody's going to have that valley someday. You don't have to be afraid of anything anymore. And you can have the promise of being in His house forever. I want to ask you a question. And I'm sincere about this. Is there another option that's better than that one? In the world, in this world that you live in and I live in, we work in and thrive in every day, is there, a better, is there a better plan? Is there anything that can give you more hope? Day before yesterday, some of you probably recall there's a guy that always came to the service. He sat right here. His name was Charlie Chuck, the founder, lead singer for the Trendettes. He's been coming here for seven years. He and I have become good friends. We've had 70 meals together. He's been at my house for holidays and Easter because he didn't have a family. <clears throat> I got the call that, that Charlie passed away next door. A few weeks ago, he was here at church. He, he had bad on bladder cancer. He, he really weakened up. I had to help him up out of it. Steve got that. Just a little hug. I said, how you doing? He goes, one day at a time, brother. We went and talked, and Charlie said, you know, saying, I, you know, I, I had this talk several times, but I always want to make sure, because i got to sleep at night, right? I said, Charlie, are you and God good? Are you all good? You, you know what I, how I feel? You've heard me preach hundreds of sermons. You know what I believe. Are, are, are you guys, you and God good? And he goes, Sammy, I'm, I'm really good. I'm in the best place I've ever been in my life. He said, you know I have a tainted past. You know where I've been, where I've done. He's very transparent about that. He said, but, you know, God and me are good. I've worked that out. And he said, you know, I'm ready to go today. I'm ready to go be with him. I want to be with him. I, I don't want to struggle in this world anymore. Can you say that? The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that's the judgment. You're not going to get out of that one. 
What other option do you have on earth that can guarantee that we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever? So here we have an invitation. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Don't waste this moment and don't leave here. Don't leave here and go out there this week and forego the opportunities that your acquaintances give you to share your story and to say, come and see. We're going to be held accountable for it now. Father, we come to you today and we're humbled, as we always are, by the teaching, the explanation of your word. It's so incredible as we think about it and as we read it, how penetrating it is, just as your word said it would be of itself. We have big challenges in front of us as your followers. We have kids that are obstinate and have all kinds of evil influences in their life that we're trying to make a difference in. And sometimes we don't even have the answers. We don't even know what all the questions are. And all we can just do is keep saying, come see, come see, come see. Let's go to church. Let's go to church. Let's, let's learn a little bit more about you. Because that's all we got right now. We have friends that are miserable and are hurting and are desperate. May we not miss the opportunity to share our story and, to, and just to invite someone to, to see you, to come and meet you, to bump into you. I pray that it'll be a burden on our lives so that the Charlie Shucks of the world can find their value in you, know you, and have the promise to dwell in you, to sit down with you and rest with you forever. Thank you, Father, for that hope and that gift, the greatest one on earth. And if there's anyone here that needs that for themselves today, I pray they won't leave without it. In Jesus' name.